All right, I'm going to have some fun with you this morning. I'm going to talk about Caleb the man. He's one of my favorite characters in the whole Bible. In fact, probably one of my most favorite in the Old Testament. And I'm sure many of you um, know about him, and I'm sure there's some of you who are going to learn a whole lot about him today. So Joshua chapter 14, 6 through 12. Stand with me for the reading of the word. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and coming in. I love this guy. I love this guy. Now therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day, for you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. Don't you love that guy? I love that guy. You know, he was a giant killer before David killed Goliath. He's one of the original giant killers. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd open up our hearts and minds, Lord God. And I pray this for all here, Lord God. A principle is a principle, a truth is a truth, and a law is a law. They are universal and they never change. So whether it's a man listening today or a woman listening today, I pray, Lord God, that you'd speak to their hearts. And I pray, Lord God, especially for the men here, make them mighty men of God. In this hour, Lord God, you're calling men to stand in the breach. You're standing them, calling them to stand in the gap. And you're calling them to be mighty for you. And I pray, Lord God, that you would raise up here today men of God to be mighty men of God. And in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Amen. So I do. I love this guy. You might hear me say that a few times because as I've been going through this, it just really excited me to be able to preach about Caleb. I want to read you a quote by another guy that I really love. His name is Josh Howley. He is a senator from Missouri. He's a Christian man. Boy, I'll tell you, boy, what a president he would make and what a time we need for a righteous president, a godly president. But in a keynote speech at the National uh, Convertitism Conference, Hawley accused the political left of seeking to redefine traditional masculinity as toxic and called for a revival of strong and healthy manhood in America. Hawley said he did not want to paint all men as victims, but he blamed the left for wanting to define traditional masculine values like courage, independence, and assertiveness as a danger to society. This, in effect, that the left has been at for four 
for years now, and they have um, had alarming success, he said. American men are working less. They are getting married in fewer numbers. They're fathering fewer children. They're suffering more anxiety and depression. They're engaged in more substance abuse. Can we be surprised that after years of being told that they are a problem, the problem, that their manhood is the problem, more and more men are withdrawing into the enclave of idleness and pornography and video games, he said at one point. How true that is. I'm telling you, as a how true, how true that is. Men, uh, right, being sissified and feminized by the left. Men being turned into man bees instead of men, grown men who are idle, who are addicted to pornography, and who spend hours and hours playing video games. Grown men playing video games for hours and hours. And it's true. It's true. So I'm going to bring you back to the story of Caleb. And um, Caleb was one of the 12 leaders, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel who were selected to go in and spy out the promised land. Uh, he, from the tribe of Judah and Joshua, from the tribe of Ephraim, they're the two that, that really stand out. The other ten uh, came back really cowardly, not walking in faith, not walking with God, and they passed on a bad report. They said to the people, we're like grasshoppers, there's giants there, we don't have a chance. By the way, the other ten are forgotten. Fanito, fanit, keput. <laughs> I think I'm probably covered most of the flags that were up there today, right? So I'm going to read some scripture to you and share this with you. Numbers chapter 13. Uh, I'm going to pick up verse 1. And um, it tells us this. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan which I am giving to the children of Israel from each tribe for their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. They were leaders. They were each a leader of their tribe. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord and all the men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now, these were the names from the tribe of Reuben, and it goes on, it talks about all the tribes, but I just want you to notice verse 6, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and then in verse 8, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, or, or essentially Joshua, um, the son of Nun. So they were, they were two of the twelve who were selected leaders of their tribe to go in and search out the promised land. Now, when they came back, right, the people, okay, were stirred, the people of Israel, by the ten who passed on this very bad report. They were cowering, they're running away, they're deserting their posts, they're whining, they're, they're complaining. I mean, th listen, they wet their panties, okay? So I want you to notice here in, in verse 27 through 30, then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us, it truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak, the Amalekites, dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. 
Now watch, just then Caleb quieted the people. He shut them up. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are all well able to overcome it. The the crowd is moving and they're going back to Egypt. They're hungry for the leeks and onions of Egypt when they could have entered the promised land and all of its fruit and all of its... And they're they're heading back. They're on the retreat. And Caleb stands up and he quiets them. And he speaks these words of courage that we can overcome. I want to share with you just a scene from the movie Braveheart that really reminds me. Can I make sure we have sound? Uh, If there was a a scene in a movie that kind of reminded me of what's happened here, let me share this with you. The Almighty says this must be a fashionable fight. It's drawn the finest people. Where is thy salute for presenting yourselves on this battlefield? I give you thanks. This is our army. To join it, you give homage. I give homage to Scotland. And if this is your army, why does it go? We didn't come here to fight for them. Oh, the English are too many. I am William Wallace. William Wallace is seven feet tall. Yes, I've heard. He kills men by the hundred. And if he were here, he'd consume the English with fireballs from his eyes and bolts of lightning from his arse. (laughs) I am William Wallace. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. And free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Right? Against that? No! We will run! And we will live. Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives but they'll never take our freedom! What Caleb was trying to do, rally the troops to take a stand against the enemy. But watch what happens. He didn't have the success that William Wallace had. Not yet. So in Numbers chapter 13, 31 through 33, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying, the land through which we, we have gone 
as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak. They came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. You know what we call that? Grasshopper mentality. See, their God is really small. Their God is, I mean, maybe they don't even have a God. So they end up with grasshopper mentality. They make mountains out of molehills. And they make mountains even bigger than what they actually are. Now, there was no question that there were giants there. The sons of the Nephilim. You study with me on Wednesday night. You learn about this all the time. But they weren't like grasshoppers. <laughs> That's a gross exaggeration. You ever hear the, the acronym for fear? Fear is false evidence appearing real. And history, history has, has proven over and over. You know, the greatest warriors throughout history, including the Israelites, you know what their weight typically is about 50 to 70 pounds. Even our special forces, the special forces guys are usually somewhere between 60 and maybe 85 pounds. They're not, they're not big men. Usually you have to be very mobile and quick. And you look at the, the samurai or the Roman, the Roman soldiers, the Spartans. You look at the, the Viking warriors. They, they weren't all these, these huge guys. But I'll tell you this, skill and cunning and a heart within will always defeat size, every time. I saw a video of a woman in Brazil. She's fought two fights in the UFC, beautiful girl. And um, she was basically being attacked by this big mugger. And she beat the snot out of him. It was glorious. I mean, she beat him and then put him in a chokehold, choked him out, he passed out, and she stayed there with him until the police came and arrested him. And she must, I'll tell you, she must weigh 130 pounds. This guy had to be you know, over 200 pounds. But I'll tell you this, with, with skill, cunning, and heart, and that's Israel. That's what God gave Israel to defeat the giants. So, you know, again, here is grasshopper mentality. Please look closely. Right? We're like grasshoppers. There's no way that they were that much bigger than them. Fear produces cowardice. And again, it just makes things much worse than the actual challenge is. So in Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 5, I'm going to move through. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. Here they are losing more hairs on their head. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt or if we had died in the wilderness. By the way, he's going to give them that wish. Be careful what you ask for. 
Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And they prayed. By the way, God, he's ready to destroy them. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces and they called upon the Lord. By the way, in a time of crisis, there are two types of people. There are complainers and there are prayers. Every crisis that this church has gone through, I'll tell you, you have the complainers and the whiners, and then you have the prayers. And Moses and Aaron prayed. They interceded. By the way, again, these people, and I'll show you this in a second, they ended up getting their wish. They ended up dying in the desert. Every one of them, 20 and above. So it goes on in verse 6, But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. <laughs> By the way, if you want to get a picture... When uh, Jewish people in Israel, they would tear their clothes. It was a a sign of grief. It was a sign of of repentance. And they're just literally, they're tearing their clothes and repenting for the 10 who passed the bad report. And that's, I mean, I don't know. That that was about the best picture I could get off of YouTube. Uh, I'm not of YouTube, off of Google. It almost looks like these guys, you know, they're, they're the guys from down in Hudson County who ripped up their shirt and say, look, I got more chest hair than you have chest hair. I mean, I don't know about you when you look at that. You ever see those guys, they wear, the, they wear their shirts back in, the, back in the 70s and the 60s. You go to the, uh, I used to bounce in nightclubs. The guys used to wear their, you know, their, um, their shirts down to here, so their hair, it's like, you know, it's a, it's a mot, you know, they have all the chains and it's mot. When those guys were bad, though, it was great. You just had to grab them by their chest hair and you can drag them out. <laughs> now, they tore, they tore their clothes in repentance And they spoke to all the congregation of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. In other words, we're just going to eat them up. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before the children of Israel. So here they are grieving, and the people of Israel take up stones. They are standing here. Caleb and Joshua are standing against the majority, even in the risk, with the risk of being stoned. That's courage. That's courage. And the glory of the Lord appeared over the tabernacle of meeting. And you know what God said? In verse 29 of Numbers 14, The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness, all of you who are numbered according to the entire number from 20 years old and above, all but Caleb and Joshua. They all died in the desert. Wandering for 40 years. So what I would like to do with you at this point, we have to go back to the future. 
Okay? So this, this setting here, that they're at the shores of the Jordan, God's saying, go in and take the promised land. And the people are saying, no, 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 we want to just go back to the desert or go back to Egypt. It's about, I'd say, 1,000, uh, well, 1,350 B.C. Okay, 1,400 B.C., 1,350 B.C. So I need to bring you back. Right? I need to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back about 14,000, uh, 1,400. Um, no, I'm sorry. I'm going to bring you back. It's going to be about 3,500 years and um, to that point. But then what I need to do is I then need to jump. So I need to go back right, to about 1,350, but then I need to jump to the future by um, about another 45 years. So that's what I'm saying. We're going to go back, right? You ever see that, that movie? Back to the future, okay? So now, all over 20, they're dead. And um, God, with Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, he remade the nation of Israel in that desert into a nation of warriors. They were no longer cowering about entering the promised land. So now again, we're 45 years into the future. This is what I had just read to you, okay, at the beginning of the message. Caleb is not 40 years old now. He's 45 years old. And he's as tough at 85 years old, right? He's, he's, he's 45 years later. He's 85 years old. He's as tough at 85 as he was at 40, and I like that. You know, people like, oh, I'm getting old, I'm getting old, I can't, I can't serve, right? I'm, I'm getting old, I can't teach Sunday school, I, you know, I, I'm getting old, I can't do this, I can't do that. It's just a number. It's a number. It's delusion. It's society, again, telling us it's time to go and be put out to pasture when you hit 60 years old or 65 years old or whatever. 45 years later. And what I want to focus on for just the next few minutes is what was said about the man, Caleb. So the first thing is what Caleb said of himself. What we say about ourselves, uh, you know, people say all kinds of things about themselves that aren't true. But what Caleb said of himself in Numbers 14.8, Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. I wholly followed the Lord my God. And I believe that's true. Uh, he knew himself. He knew what he was. He knew who he was. It was the philosopher Socrates who said, to know thyself is the beginning of wisdom. To know who you are, to know what you are, to know your greatest values, to know your beliefs, to know the things you are willing to fight for, to know the things you are willing to die for. And let me say this, to know the things you are willing to kill for. I'm not talking about murder. Someone comes breaking into your house, threatening to kill your spouse or your children. 
Are you willing to kill them, to keep them from that? I think that's an important, that's an important decision. I once had a very wise man, John Maxwell, I read his great leadership books, and I was sitting down with him in his church in San Diego, and he said to me, what are you willing to fight for? What are you willing to die for? And he said, what are you willing to kill for? Know thyself. Know thyself. This man, I believe Caleb, he knew himself. One of, one of Satan's greatest works of art is to confuse the hell out of people and keep them from knowing who and what they are. Have you noticed that in our world? So they're taking our children in kindergarten now and they're teaching them, you're not a man, you're not a woman, you may be this, you may be this, you may be this. It's woke. You know woke? Woke needs to wake up. When you're talking to somebody who's into woke, say, woke up, man, woke up. And then as you walk away, if they keep yelling in your ear, that's where you look at them and you can tell them, hey, listen, why don't you go woke yourself? Go woke yourself. Get the woke out of my face. I don't want to hear it. That's woke, just confusing. It's, it's, it's people under the dominion of Satan just confusing little children. Hey, when I was a kid... I wanted to be a baseball, I wanted to be a baseball player, I wanted to be a hockey player, I wanted to be a football player, I wanted to be a boxer, I, I wanted to be an astronaut. You know what? We don't know what the heck we want to be when we're kids. And these idiots are in there teaching our children things. Totally confusing. And then we wonder why the suicide rate is going up, and the use of alcohol is going up, and the use of drugs is going up, and kids are overdosing themselves. Come on, man. Know yourself. Know who you are. Know your identity. I'm going to show you one other scene from another one of my favorite movies. And I guess you kind of learn a little bit about me when I'm showing you a little bit about my favorite movies. But it's a scene from Gladiator. And it's a scene where I just, just say, Maximus knew himself. He knew who he was. He's standing before the evil emperor who's saying, who are you? Can we get sound? My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. There's a man who knew himself. He knew what he was, he knew who he was, he knew what he was willing to fight for, die for, and kill for. Romans 12.3, it says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So don't think too highly of yourself. That's pride, and pride always comes before the fall. Don't be conceited. Don't be arrogant. Uh, don't be overconfident. It's a major flaw. But he says think soberly. Have a clear, right estimate. It doesn't mean being somebody, and I see this in the church, people walking around with a false humility. That's, that's not what it means. It, it means knowing and understanding your strengths, 
You all have strengths. And you all have weaknesses. I have strengths. I have weaknesses. I have good points. I have bad points. It's, it's knowing those things. And I think Caleb knew himself. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. I believe that's true. He put his life on the line. Could have been stoned. He knew who he was. And he acted in accord. The second is what Caleb's peer said of him. So, again, the first is what Caleb said about himself, but this is what his peer said about him. And the peer I'm talking about is Joshua, right? Joshua is the leader from Ephraim, and Caleb's the leader from Judah. And look at what Joshua said of him. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became an inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Realize Joshua wrote the book of Joshua. And here he is saying this because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Now this is an important thing because look, I'm not concerned about what the world thinks about me. Obviously you can see that. I don't care what they're going to put up on, you know, it's going to go on YouTube and face if they shut it down. I don't care. That's going to happen one day. The wokers. So again, you go woke yourself. But there are people in my life that I really care about. Peers. Men. And I care about what they think about me. Sam, I care what you think about me. Lenny, I care what you think about me. Joe Zambito, I care what you think about me. Antonio, I care. Manny, I care. Pastor Lou, I care. Pastor Carmen Mercadante, you remember Carmen, Pastor Carmen, Pastor Chris Figueroa, Jerry Palmieri, the man who led me to I care about what they think about me. And it's important of what my peers think about me. And I think it's important what Joshua thought about Caleb. I named some great men of God. They're the leaders of our church. When Pastor Pedro was here, I cared what Pastor Pedro thought about me. Like a father and a son relationship. But I care, I care what, those, what those men think about me. I care what my son thinks about me. I care what he thinks about me. And then the third, what Caleb's leader said of him. And his leader was Moses, who is bigger than life, the lawgiver. This is his pastor. Joshua chapter 14, verse 9. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. I want to tell you, I've had some great leaders. I've had some great mentors in my life. Dallas Mucci. Some of you may remember him. Remember him, Sam? He was my bishop. Charlie Rizzo, who was my first pastor. Ken Jones, 
Reverend Scotty, they were great missionaries who mentored me in the early days. My father, my father. My father wasn't a believer until he was 68 years old. The hardest time of my life, I almost left the ministry. I said, oh, is that enough of this? I'm just going to go do motivational speaking, go back. You know, it's just it's easier to make money than it is to build churches, I'll tell you that. And um, I really was ready. I was ready to leave. And I was home in my study on a Sunday afternoon. And um, my father came over, and he hugged me. And my father said to me, you're not a quitter. He said, you're a winner. And just pulled me in his arms. I had tears in my eyes. He had tears in his eyes. It matters what my father thinks of me. It matters what my dad thought of me. And I'm glad he thought that I was a winner and not a quitter. Now, back to the past. Right? Caleb's 85 years old. I'm taking you back 45 years to when Caleb was 40 years old. And we're back there on the shores of the Jordan River. The rebellion is happening. People are acting like frightened rats. And Caleb's acting like a courageous lion. And I want you to notice here what Caleb's God said of him. Somewhat important what I think about myself. It's important what other people think of me. Let me tell you, it's important what my leaders have thought of me. But the most important of importance, really, it's like if I had to scale it, what I think about myself, I would have given it a three. What I think about my peers thinking of me, I would have given it a seven. What I think about what my leaders thought of me, I would have given it a nine. And what I am concerned about what God thinks about me, I would give it a billion. And look at what. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4, before I show you what God said about Caleb, he said, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. The Corinthians were very critical of Paul. He says, in fact, I do not even judge myself. You know what he's saying here? It's not important what you think of me. You're critics. It's not important what I think of myself. In verse 4, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. He who judges me is the Lord. You know what he's saying here? The only thing that matters is what God thinks about me. <laughs> what does God think of you this morning? I could tell you, I have thoughts about you. Maybe your peers have thoughts about you. Maybe you have thoughts about you. But really, what does God think of you this morning? I well, God loves me. Yeah, I know God. God loves his children. I understand that. But you know what? There have been times in my life where I loved my children and I was pissed off at them. There were times where they disappointed me. There were times where they let me down. There were times when they made me cry. There were times when my wife and I, right? God bless her for the head of hair that God has given her, but my hair was falling out fast. I know God loves you, but what does he think about you? What does he think about your walk with him? Think about your service, your faithfulness, living up to what he's given you. So in Numbers chapter 14, 24, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, I want you to notice that. 
He had a different spirit in him. Have you noticed that as you read the Bible, there are people who had a different spirit than the spirit that was in the people? I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit here. I'm talking about the spirit of man. Some people are more spirited than others. To me, Abraham had a different spirit in him than Lot. Joseph had a different spirit in him than his brothers. David and Josiah had a different spirit in them than the other kings of Israel. Elijah and Elisha had a different spirit in him than the false prophets. John the apostle had a different spirit in him than the other apostles. Ladies, Mary, Mary Magdalene, Mary the sister of Lazarus, Ruth, Deborah, and I'm probably forgetting a whole lot of others, had a different spirit in them than other women in the time. A different spirit. He had a spirit in him of honor to take a stand against the crowd, to take a stand against the majority. You ever stand against the majority? It's sometimes hard to stand against the majority. My son, Frank, when BLM was, was spreading all over the... By the way, I'll say this to you about BLM. Black Lives Matter, they do, and I value that. But I don't stand with the organization that burned down buildings and rioted and killed people. Do you understand? Black, I believe all lives matter. Black people's lives matter. White people's lives matter. Asian people's lives matter. All people, old people, young people, in between. I, but I would not stand with that organization. So they were moving towards the town that my son is a policeman in, and he called me on the phone, and he said, Dad, they may want us to take a knee. Remember when the policemen were kneeling before them? And he said, I ain't taking a knee. And I said, I wouldn't. I, I, I'll, bow down, I'll bow down to no one. No one but God. I will not bow before any man. Kill me, take me, whatever you want to do. I'm not bowing down before you. You knock me down, I'm still not bowing down to you. And I raised my son with those values. So he said, if they it, it come in, he goes, he goes, I hope the chief isn't going to ask us to bow. By the way, the chief was very strong, and he had no intention of any of his men bowing down. But I was proud of my son, proud of my son. He said, stand against the crowd, stand against the majority. Caleb stood against the crowd, and he followed the Lord fully. He followed the Lord fully. He had, he had a different spirit in him. And he followed the Lord fully. So, want to hear the rest of the story? It's quick. The roast won't burn. McDonald's isn't going to run out of burgers today. So this is Caleb again at 85 years old. Now to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely, Kirjath Arba, which is uh, Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. So Kirjath Arba was under the control of the Anakites, the giants. And Joshua went in and he conquered Kirjath Arba and he called it Hebron, which means, if Hebron is friend of God, one in alliance with God. That's what Hebron, Hebrews, we get the, the name from. 
So Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, Sheshai, Ahaman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. And then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Debir. Formerly, the name of Debir was Kirjath-Sefer. He's still kicking butt at 85 years old. I like this guy. I just want to end with a couple of characteristics that I see in Caleb. But I'll tell you, every man in this place, every person in this place should covet. Caleb was faithful. He was faithful to his God. He was faithful to his family. He gave his family the inheritance. (laughs) He was faithful to his nation. He was faithful to his calling. He was a faithful provider. He was a faithful protector. He was faithful. Caleb was a man of courage. Courage is not a momentary thing. A lot of people, they, well, this guy, you know, he, he was heroic, and God bless him, they run into a fire and they save a kid. But, but that's, that's just momentary courage. Courage is something that is continual. It doesn't come and go. It's the act of doing right day and night, fighting the battles that we have to fight day in and day out, standing against the crowd, standing against the mob, standing with the few, sometimes standing alone. All the time. That's courage. Integrity. He's honest. He's got an undivided heart. He's single-minded. He wholly followed the Lord as God. Strength. Strength is, is having strong morals, more strong values, strong beliefs. It's, it's standing for something because if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for everything. How does a person stand against the, the temptations, the deception, the crowd? The only way you stand against them is if you have very strong internal heart moral values and beliefs. He was responsible. He was responsible for his family. He was responsible for his tribe. And he was responsible for his nation. We need to be as men responsible for our families, responsible for our church, responsible for our community, and responsible for our nation. You see what's happened in our culture? And this is a disease. The blame. Washington sets an example to everybody, just blame. And Trump did it. And right now, I mean, these, these knuckleheads in the White House, Biden and that crew, I've never seen a greater band of incompetence in my whole life. And they're destroying the country. They're totally destroying the country. But no one will take responsibility. It's Putin's fault. It's the oil company's fault. Right? It's, it's this one's fault. It's that one. And it's Trump's fault. Give me a break. Take responsibility. This, this irresponsible blame game is a disease, it's a contagion, and it's all throughout our country. It's in marriages, it's in families, it's in the church. Dump the excuses. Dump the blame. Remember, remember I think, I, I'm trying to think of the president. It wasn't Roosevelt. The buck stops here. Who was it? Harry Truman. Truman. Our leaders need to get that implanted on their brains and their hearts. You know, as a leader of this church, when there's a problem, it ends with me. 
I don't know if you've ever been pointing fingers and blaming people for problems in the church. I take them responsible. I put responsibility for them. That's leadership. But this is a contagion where everybody, every, it's always just blaming and blaming, and I get sick of it. Last one, honor. He was an honorable man. Honor is commitment to what is right, no matter what is wrong. And he was a man of, 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 I admire honorable people. I admire people of honor. Caleb was a man of honor. So I pray you would take these words to heart. I guess you see I feel somewhat passionate about this. I have watched, I have watched manhood diminishing in the 40 years that I have been a Christian inside the church and outside the church. I watch men being sissified and feminized, and I believe it is to the glory of God that men would be masculine. Not macho macho, you understand? Masculine. They should be the priests of their family, the prophets of their family, the providers of their family, and the protectors of their families. And if you don't have a family, you still should be fulfilling that role. Right, Tito? Right. I don't know if you heard what I just said. I had to walk around. Admire you, Tito. Don't let your head get big now. The devil will come and he'll, he'll have a Father's Day uh, picnic in it. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I do pray today, Lord God, that we would take to heart these words and the example, Lord God, that we've been given in this great man of God, Caleb. A man, Lord God, who wholly followed the Lord his God. May our hearts be so set and devoted to do that very thing. Day in and day out, Lord God, in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, Lord God, even when we're asleep, may we be committed to following you wholeheartedly. And I pray that this would bring great blessings because the word of God tells us, Lord God, that the man who obeys you brings blessings upon his wife, upon his children, upon his grandchildren, and upon all, Lord God, whose life he touches. And I pray this, Lord God, this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Stand with me. The altars are open if you'd like to come forward for prayer. Thank you, Pastor Frank. What a great word from the Word. Amen? Amen. The worship team uh, had a meeting a few weeks ago. <clears throat> we were talking about closing with an upbeat song or a moderate or slow song, depending on what the pastor's Hello. message was. Hello, Rose. We are going to sing. You How are you mighty. feeling? You feeling okay? Can you mute Pastor nope, Frank, please? How's Pete? okay? Is he here today? No. Michael. Oh, he is. <laughs> Can you mute Pastor Frank, please? <laughs> Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Joe. See, he's like ministering out there already. Just finished this message, and he's out. hey, how's it going? How's your brother? How's your brother?
You are mighty. You are holy. You are awesome. In your power, you have risen. You have conquered. You have beaten the power. Sing it again. You are mighty. You are holy. You are awesome. In your power, you have risen. You have conquered. You have beaten the power. Sing hallelujah. Hallelujah. We We. Mm-hmm. 